This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Well, here we are. We're at the end of our Never Seen series. It's been just really so delightful to watch movies that either one of us or both of us have never seen, and then come on here and hash it out and record it so we can share it with all of you. Hannah, something I've enjoyed so much with the series is all of the conversation that yes. we've had, whether it's with listeners or I've had great conversations with friends and even family members. And it just feels like it. this series has had a more conversational energy behind it than some of our others. And I think it's because everyone has an opinion about these movies. Everyone wants to say something about them. Yes. And I love surprising people. Like when I'm just in conversation about the podcast and people are like, you've never seen that? I mean, it, <laughs> it, it feels like we have a new dimension to our relationship. Like someone I've known forever and they've known me and, and we're opening up this whole new aspect of conversation that, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly. Um, so I've loved the surprise that people have expressed when they're like, how can you have lived on this planet this long and never <laughs> right. seen that? And I'm I have like, I'm a, an expert. I have a friend who's in her very early 30s, and she did not know that I had never seen Mean Girls. And it, it was almost shock near to the point of almost as if she didn't know me. She thought she knew me. And then it's like, how could you have never seen it? So now she keeps sending me gifts of Mean Girls, which I really appreciate. <laughs> So it is it's opening up new new realms of conversation, new I, layers. I do think for some people, though, it has led them to question my credibility, though. <laughs> like I thought because you were an educated experienced person. These things. Yes. How could you have not experienced these things? Plus, when I experience them for the first time and maybe don't react the way they expect, it mm-hmm. gives them a new way to say, oh, well, I had no idea. That's who you were. You know, so <laughs> it, it's been a lot of fun. And I have enjoyed the opportunity to catch up on some pop culture to uh, not just experience it for myself, but to feel like I can connect and bond with people who have been talking about it for years or who have seen it. And that's part of their, um, you know, portfolio of ideas and experiences. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I get to join in with something that other people have been experiencing. So I've really enjoyed that. 
I have too. And I've learned so much about how taking in the the narrative of the moment is much different than waiting and then taking it in later. And not that one is better than the other, but it does change your perspective because when you're taking it in, in the context of the moment when it's released, and then you are in the midst of the conversation of that time and of that place, it's almost like that shapes even how you take that message in. And and then when you take it in later, it's like you are looking back upon that moment and you are a different person and society's in a different place. And I, I had never thought about that before, about how we grow and change as people and therefore how we take in these elements, even a movie, it, it's going to be different than than what you would expect in the moment of time when it was released. So yeah, yeah I've learned a lot. And and one way that particularly has struck me that I think perhaps with the digital age, because we are bombarded with so much information at such a rate, I think in some ways our uh, attention span has changed and our mm-hmm. comfort level with pacing has accelerated. And so some of the things I've noticed is even movies made 20 years ago, which weren't that long ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Feel very different in their timing and their pacing as to what I am willing to embrace now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I wonder too, if just as a culture and as our viewing norms have changed, that something has to be much more intense, much more active, uh, progress much more quickly to keep our attention. Um, mm-hmm. And so I found, I found that fascinating too, that some things just felt so slow. And then it <laughs> occurred to me, maybe I was the one who had changed, you know, maybe yes. this wasn't slow when it was released and that was what people were accustomed to, but maybe the digital age has changed our expectations, even of pacing. We're now conditioned to want things coming at us. (laughs) Every few seconds, there's something happening. And I remember um, when I went to see um, the Avengers Endgame, I sadly had to take a restroom break right in the middle, even though people said, don't do that. And I thought, okay, this seems like a good time. I'll just go real quick, go real quick and come back. And I missed something very important. I was like, I was gone two minutes. And so there is um, that sense of like, they are cramming in all of these details into a movie. It's like, how can they put any more in there? Whereas some of the movies we've watched, some of the older ones, you could have taken a two, three, four, 10 minute break, and you probably wouldn't have missed a whole lot that was detrimental to your understanding of that film. So I do think that's true, that movies and storytelling, it's changed. Um, It's feeding us a lot of information in a very short amount of time. So yeah, I've learned a lot. It's been fun. And um, all you listeners out there, we have loved your input. We loved that you've been involved. And if you've been listening to the series, especially if you listen to the first conversation we had, we had Alyssa Wilkinson with us on that first kickoff episode. There was um, part of that conversation that was a little bit of a hint toward this last episode, almost like a little Easter egg of sorts when we we talked about a certain particular film that a certain persuasion host had never seen. And that is the one that we're going to discuss today for our finale, our wrap-up episode of the series. Yes, today we are going to tackle 
Titanic. Um, I have never seen it until just a few days ago. And I sat down to watch it and just had a blast with it. And and one of the things Alyssa had mentioned in that first episode, too, that came to my mind as I watched Titanic is she said that movies are meant to be seen on a large screen. And as I was watching Titanic, I could definitely see what she was mm-hmm. expressing there because I really did. I felt this sadness and I haven't felt this with any of the other movies. I felt this sadness. I need to see this in a theater. I mm-hmm. wish I had mm-hmm. seen this when it was released in the theater because it was definitely kind of that epic scale, that epic proportion. And suddenly I have to say, watching it, I finally understood so many things about mm, myself, mm-hmm. about the 90s, about the culture that it emerged <laughs> from. And and it's interesting because I don't think many of the other movies did this for me, but I really felt like this was one that I was like, all right, I am so glad I watched this. And it's like oh, a good. penny dropped for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And I felt like it came full circle in a lot of ways. Well, this is a huge, epic, groundbreaking movie. I mean, it is quite something. And there may be listeners out there, maybe you've not seen it. And although I'm sure most people know what the Titanic is in terms of it was a ship that went down, we should probably set up this movie just in case people aren't aware of it. Right. So this movie, it's great. It has all these different layers of stories that are laid one on top of the other and, and lives converge and stories converge. So here's how this construct of the story begins. It begins with a 100 year old woman named Rose, and she is telling the story of her Titanic experience. So she was on the Titanic. So she's telling her experience to her granddaughter and to this team who is searching the actual Titanic wreckage. They're, they're searching for treasure. So Rose is telling her life story. And she says, this is a story she had never shared with anyone. So it's, it's, in current day at the time, this movie was released in 97. So she's telling the story and then it's a lot of flashbacks. And here and there, they come back to Rose as a 100-year-old. But for the most part, she's kind of narrator and then taking you into these lengthy flashbacks where you learn about Rose and how she got on board this ship. Uh, she was 17. She boarded with her mother. Her mother's name is Ruth and her fiance, Cal. Uh, Cal is not a great guy. Uh, he's He's kind of controlling and domineering and belittling. And uh, they are... But wealthy. but wealthy. That's that's what he had going for him, right? <laughs> and so they were upper class, and this is a big deal on Titanic. So they're the upper class passengers, and that's a whole different realm. They're they're living their life as the in the life of luxury there. And then here's another layer. There's another story that comes in because another passenger is a a young artist named Jack Dawson, played by Leo Leo DiCaprio. He's a third-class passenger. And so his life is a bit different and separate from the first-class passengers. And um, he and Rose meet, and then it's the story of the two of them falling in love and all that entails. What else do we need to say about this movie? Um, I 
think one of the central things is they're looking for a necklace. The, the dive team oh, at the beginning right. of the film that kind of starts the process is looking for – they have record that this necklace went down into the sea with the Titanic. And it was this um, – what is it called? The Heart, Heart of, of the, the Ocean. ocean. Yes. Something like that. I don't know if that's the name, but it's this big old gem. And um, Rose's fiance had given it to her um, as on the ship as part of their engagement or whatever. And it was this was what the dive team was looking for. So this is kind of threaded throughout um, the romance and what happens to this and how this necklace is used to frame Jack at one point. And, you know, so there's also that kind of question of, well, where is the necklace? Um, Mm -hmm. but I think the other thing that I found really interesting is the way the story is constructed. It's a lot of fate, a lot of how much do Mm -hmm. you control your own destiny? Do you go along with, uh, where you've been positioned in life? So Rose is this upper class, um, young woman who is destined to marry among the classes. And part of her angst is she just sees her life being taken from her, that she's just going to have to participate in all of this, uh, you know, worthless life of parties and excess and consumption. And there's nothing true and meaningful about it. So um, she actually meets Jack when she's going to throw herself over the side of the Titanic and commit suicide. And he stumbles upon her and basically convinces her not to do this. Um, and that begins their friendship, which leads to this love affair. And it's underneath it all is the question of how much do you control your own destiny? How much do you get to choose? Um, and what's fascinating is uh, Jack actually wasn't supposed to be on the Titanic. One of the opening mm-hmm. scenes is you see him winning his tickets to America in a poker game. And so there's this joy and this optimism that he has these tickets and he's headed back home. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really set up well, I think. It is. And, and I think a lot of it is that we all know the Titanic goes down and we all know that the majority of the people don't make it. So as we get these stories layered one on top of another, that question of fate, it, it's, it's so weighty. I mean, I, I feel like every time I watch it, it's even though I know who makes it and who doesn't, I feel sad for the people like, do they realize in just a few days that's going to be it? And so you know this information. And even though you know that Rose makes it because she's the one telling the story on the on that end, you don't know about all the other characters. And so you're wondering the whole time which of these people will make it and which won't. And knowing that the mo- that, that most of them will not. So um, there's a weight to it. Yeah, one of it's the a most bit sad. One of the most somber. poignant scenes is probably about twenty thirty minutes in, where you've established the characters and it's all this pomp and circumstance and beautiful costuming and you know it's really done at an epic scale. And the boat is pulling out of harbor and there's just this joy and everyone's mm. cheering and it's beautiful. And I'm watching it going. <gasps> You're no. all gonna die. Turn <laughs> no, back. It's terrible. Turn back. Because you, as the viewer, do know the end of the story, and yeah. so I, I did find it very um, compelling and interesting at that level, where you know things the characters don't, um, mm-hmm. and so you're watching their story unfold, but you still don't know, like you said, who's going to survive and how it all mm-hmm. works out. 
And you become attached to these people. You're like, oh, please don't let that person die, <laughs> even though they're not real. Like a lot of the the story was fictional, although they did weave in some um, true um, people, true passengers, some history there. Um, the story of Jack and Rose, that part is fiction. So all of that is online. You can find articles if all you listeners out there, if you've not seen it or if you're curious, there are plenty of articles that give you the comparison of what is real and which is the the fictional story that James Cameron and developed I would say, for this movie. I wouldn't even call this in my mind, this is not even historical fiction. Mm. It, it's interesting because even though it's kind of the backdrop of the tragedy and he does weave in a lot of historical elements, I did not watch it thinking this is historical fiction. I watched it thinking this is a romance that takes place on the Titanic. On the Titanic, yeah. yeah. So it was interesting in that they respect. Did a, yeah, I think he did a good job um, depicting the actual sinking. And I think from the sinking on, I think a lot of that was a little bit more the wrap-up and um, giving the details of how they were rescued. And I think he won great acclaim for that part of it because he did such a good job of explaining how the Titanic actually did sink. So, um, but the bulk of the story, the main part of it is the, the, the story of the romance plus the, the mystery of the necklace and all of that. I mean, it, it was pretty good. Now, Hannah, we we tend to do gut reactions here. I'm going to say my gut reaction from what I can remember from 1997. That's a long time ago. But I did see it in the theater. And I remember I was completely overwhelmed with emotion. I I know I cried. Don't know that I was near sobbing. But I mean, I was like, this was a big movie. And it created big emotions. And I loved the grandness of the Titanic. I loved the costumes. I was so sad um, when people were dying. That made me, um, I, I mean, that went on and on. That was, it a, it's not like, it's not like they just showed it real quick. I mean, that part of it, I was like, oh, this is, this is for real. Like these people really did perish. So then that made me sad. Um, there were just so many things about it that made a, a real indelible impression upon me. And I think I saw it at least one more time in the theater and I've seen it a few times since. So um, gut reaction, I I loved it. And um, even though it made me sad. I really did love it. And I still love those costumes. So those are the things that have stuck with me. Yeah. So I want to affirm that there is a lot of death and destruction and mayhem. And, and stress. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't so stressful. really pre prepared for that. I should have prepared um, you. And I watched the first hour with my daughter and she was like, oh, this is too long. I'm not going to watch the rest of it. But I felt like I was really enjoying it and I wanted to watch it with someone. So I, I paused it mm -hmm. and I texted my husband. I said, you have to come home and watch the rest of this movie with me. And, and so he did. Eventually, the rest of the day, we watched the rest of it. And unfortunately for him, he missed the first hour that has like all the romance in it. And <laughs> like he came in right when the destruction happens. And so all he oh saw was an hour and a half or two hours of just people dying. And like, <laughs> he's like, how many people were lost in this? 
1500? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I watched every single one of them die. <laughs> it seemed like it. And, and mean, it did feel like there was this endless, like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. I know. And, I and know. when I, I think the point where I kind of lost a little patience was when Rose was on the lifeboat, right? She's on the lifeboat and she's leaving. And I'm like, huh, there's an hour left. I wonder what they're going to do because she's on the lifeboat. <laughs> oh, that's right. She gets on and, and then, then she hops she off. She gets yeah. off. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? And then they spend another hour running around the ship trying to survive. <laughs> so I want to affirm that there's a lot of like yes. intense drama, death, mayhem. I can understand completely why you would be sad. I was a little bit sad. However... My feelings, my gut reaction, I think probably is very different because I didn't see it when it was released. Mm -hmm. So my experience was this overwhelming sense of nostalgia. Mm. Not for 1912, but for the 90s. Really? So I'm watching this knowing that this was like the dominant movie of the late 90s. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm seeing all of these elements as I'm watching it going, oh, oh. And it's not even <laughs> it's not even like the storyline or the plot that people were talking about and I didn't know. It's like the opening scenes where the um, underwater explorer is wearing a cable knit fisherman sweater <laughs> and has a single gold hoop earring. Yes, and I'm he like, did. I noticed that oh, too. Oh, <laughs> my word. That's the 90s. And then all of these little things um, that even though it was set in 1912, it was shaped by the 90s. So it's things like everybody's got ringlet curls. Everybody's wearing lace. You know, it's the fisherman sweaters. It's it's dolphins. Like they had this whole scene with like watching this pod of dolphins. And if that was Mm -hmm. a different time, it would have been different sea creatures. Right. But Mm. the 90s belonged to the dolphins. And so I'm having this. Who knew? Even the makeup and the color choices. I mean, those, they, yes. those are very centered in the time that it was produced. And so I'm having these massive waves of nostalgia just coming back like, <laughs> this is high school for me, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and it also was very freeing because I felt like I had no choice. I could not resist the 90s even if I wanted to. So Every, all my fashion choices, all the things I thought were beautiful, right. all the things that have shaped me weren't just me making bad choices. It was like, this is <laughs> it was the everybody. force <laughs> that carried us along. And I remember it's so true. the dominance of Leonardo DiCaprio in the 90s oh, as a yeah. heartthrob. I remember Kate Winslet, not only in Titanic, but Sense and Sensibility. And so I, I have to say, I loved it. Not because of the movie, but because I felt like I was reconnecting to a former self, honestly. <laughs> and so I, I enjoyed it so much. Oh, I'm so glad. I, do you think you'd watch it again? Um, Maybe when I'm in kind of a reminiscent mood. Yeah. You know? I mean, you'd have to be committed because it is long. I think I, I think I could watch um like the first half right. a lot. That's what I would I do. I don't need to watch. I don't need to watch the ship part. Right. Over and over I again. I would watch That's, the first very hour, stressful. hour 15, and then fast forward through a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> and get to the end. That's how I would watch it again. <laughs> and this is the beauty of having these movies available to us now at home. We can do that. Right. Yeah. It is long, though. 
I mean, it is. I mean, it's a commitment. You you got to be ready. I I did really enjoy this movie, and I've been reading a lot of articles about the movie, which I will put those in the show notes because other people may be interested as well. But your comment about the makeup um, that was something that um, the the person who did the costuming for the film had mentioned that they used more um, modern day yeah. makeup techniques that most women for upper class level would not be wearing that much makeup at that time. And so um, that was interesting. And the, the costumes themselves, they they did show on one site that I was looking at, they did show the outfits from that era that inspired her costumes for um, for Rose. And so that first opening scene where she's wearing that pinstripe suit and she has that monstrous hat on, which I love, that actually was based off of a woman's outfit. And so I liked seeing that. I love seeing that comparison to history. So um, the costuming, I think that that was spectacular. And this film won lots of awards for the film itself and for all these elements. And I think they were well-deserved. Um, also, I'll also link up the article from Alyssa when she watched it. Um, that was a, a great read. And she has some of these same takeaways as someone who watched the film much, much later than its release date. So we'll get all those out there. Now, um, we have lots that we can dissect with this film because there are a lot of narratives and a lot of things that um, are woven into the film that were true then, but they are still echoing in today's culture. So we need to tear some of these things out right. and, and talk about them. Just because I loved it for the sake of nostalgia and because of the grand scale of it does not mean that I thought it was necessarily true, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there were several plot lines and framing that I was just like, ah, oh, no, honey, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. No, yeah. stay in the boat. Yep. Do not get out of the boat. <laughs> and so there were several things that as I'm watching it, I felt like I was indulging kind of just the joy of the nostalgia and the large scale of it. While mm -hmm. simultaneously saying, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't do that. No, that's, mm -mm. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I think probably, I think, resonates with people because we want to believe it's true is that class is not something that has to divide you. So mm -hmm. there is this whole framing of the first class and the steerage class. And, the, and you see these kind of... Um, different worlds side by side that overlap and and part of the the message of the film is even something like class cannot stop true love and true mm -hmm. love can overcome these man-made structures and we're all just people together and i think that was part of the end scenes where everyone's dying together right, right. So at the end and, of the and day, they really did. Yes. Your class, your money. In fact, there's a very explicit scene where the person says your money can't help you now, basically. Yeah. Um, however, I think it may have devalued how formative and how essential class is to culture. And because I think most of us would agree we don't want class to divide us, and yet it still does. And so we can we can look at it 
from this perspective and step back and say, oh, but no, love should conquer all and class should not have a say. And yet it does. And so in the Titanic, I mean, they talk about different accommodations, different dining areas. There were areas that third class was not allowed to go. Um, There were these lines drawn. And what I think is interesting, Hannah, is not only is it the first class versus third class divide, but then even within first class, there there's a hurdle. Yes. There are those who have always had money, and then there are people who are considered new money. And so it's almost like you have your own little area if you are old money, and you can look down on those people who are, you're in there, but you have new money, meaning you don't come from the right line and the right... Um, maybe the right family or the right area. And therefore, you don't really fit in, but we'll let you be here. Right. (laughs) And so someone is always making these rules, these divides, and and they are trying, I think we all do this. We try to, to create these hurdles where we know we have passed and Therefore, people who don't pass, we can feel a little bit better right. about ourselves because we've we've one upped it, like we've made it to this level, and those people haven't. So that was very distinctive in this film. And while I want to affirm the dignity of all classes, and and I want to say there is nothing inherently better or more worthy of a person who's born into the upper classes versus the lower classes. I also feel like it's a bit of wishful thinking that these class divides don't affect who you are and Mm. would affect a relationship. So Mm -hmm. I'm watching Rose fall in love with this working class guy who somehow is an amazingly articulate, creative, thoughtful person, which is not typical of, well, I want to be careful here, but it's not what a culture would create, that kind of manhood, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So working Mm -hmm. class manhood is much more brusque. It's much more what can you accomplish? What can you do? What do you have to show for yourself? So the kind of uh, holistic, fully formed, robust personality that Jack was, was not typical of his class. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sense, Perhaps that's why he and Rose found each other, because neither of them were typical of their class. But I'm watching Mm -hmm. this thinking, well, this is kind of minimizing the true hurdles that exist. Like, if you Mm -hmm. are from a more educated, upper class, wealthier context, and you fall in love with someone who's from a, a context that doesn't have that same culture, you're going to have some serious hurdles to overcome and your love is not going to be enough. Like you're going to have to work at it really, really hard. And so I sometimes think of these kind of star-crossed lover romance stories that I get what they're trying to say. Like there's dignity and worth and value among all peoples. But if we minimize class, it's almost like the, well, we're colorblind, we're class blind. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. Actually, being colorblind is not the solution to racism, and class blindness is not the solution to classism. I mm-hmm. mean, these things are formative, they are true, they are real, and they make us who we are in our spaces. And I, I'm just, I'd love to see a movie where they delve into that more, like where there's actual conflict because of their backgrounds. 
Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that I noticed with the the classes being portrayed, it was more typical for the first class passengers to be trade to be portrayed as rather um shallow or um a little bit condescending, maybe a little rude, um, uppity, stuffy, that kind of thing. Um, it was more common to see that. Whereas when Rose would go and socialize with the third class, it was very vibrant and everyone was included. And I was surprised, like, would was there no ripple of like what's happening here Why when is this she here from uh, from first class comes in she's dressed so differently and so it's like oh they were all accepting and accommodating like yeah come on in and have fun so i thought that was kind of interesting this distinction of um approach to people in classes almost like it only mattered to upper class but not to the third class so i don't know what that would be um in reality but i thought that was a an interesting um distinctive there and another thing that is portrayed um that you saw it at some of the dinner scenes um where the 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 first class passengers are talking about business and talking about responsibilities and and Rose was lamenting how she feels like everything is so planned out because you have to act a certain way and behave a certain way and Jack comes in and he's this free spirited artist and they don't know what to do with him and he basically gives this little speech about what's really important in life. And I think we would all be like, yes, he's not taken in by the riches and the wealth. And yet you see them looking at him saying almost like they're concerned that he is unable to um, make commitments. And so he's saying, oh, no, I'm free from all the trappings of wealth. And their concern is, yeah, but you're not responsible right. and you're not you're not um, being willing to be committed to a, anything in particular. And yet in the end, you do see that he is willing to commit. He's willing to give his life and, and sacrifice himself for Rose. And in some ways, her fiance, even though he was terrible, he also was wanting her to survive and get her into a lifeboat. So that was not something that was for an upper class person or a third class person. It was just they cared about her and wanted her to live. Right. I, I do feel it kind of portrayed the upper classes uh you know, kind of stereotypically, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it did this whole noble savage trope of the lower classes, which is, you know, you know that emerged, I think, I think it's going to be the late 18th century in literature where there was this uh, vision of the new world as this fresh, untouched, unspoiled place. And even the uh, native um, inhabitants because they were untouched and unspoiled by Western civilization, that there was a nobleness and an inherent, um, you know, virtue to them mm, by mm-hmm. the fact that they were unspoiled by wealth and power. And so that mm. is in play in this movie. And, and honestly, you know, whatever it's, it's a fun movie, surprisingly, because there's a lot of dying in it but it, it's not right. meant to be this serious commentary on 
class, but it's there. Right. And what's striking to me is it's such a massive movie that required such massive amounts of funding to be made. Yeah. I mean, this is like a multi-million dollar production turning around and criticizing (laughs) the people that would have been able to afford to fund it. Um, So that's fascinating to me, too, where it's, you know, it's not really an honest, true telling of of class. There there is this sense that to whom much is given, much is required. Um, And so Mm -hmm. having wealth, having power doesn't necessarily corrupt you, but it does change the responsibilities and the freedom you have. Yes, you Mm -hmm. have less freedom to move through the world because you have more people that you are responsible to and responsible for. Um, And I don't, I think we kind of miss some of that in Western society that's so individualistic and it kind of tries to obliterate class, even though it Mm -hmm. still exists. We, We miss that sense of if you're born into privilege, if you're born into wealth, it could be the mechanisms by which God is equipping you to do really good things for the world. And mm-hmm. with that comes this kind of, I'm sorry, you can't escape this responsibility. You can't abdicate what you've been given. You've got to steward it and use it for the benefit of those around you. I think our culture as a whole has has become a bit more fluid in terms of um circles overlapping um and we don't have as many places where we're saying there are certain people who just aren't allowed i mean that was a lot on the titanic in this film they talked about a lot which areas are you allowed to be in and not allowed to be in and so i think that we've um grown in that way and because of that i think we are better able to understand what's going on in the world and then feel that tug of where should I be using what I have to the benefit of others. So I do think that that's a a, a benefit of the change from early 1900s in terms of that class system and it, and it being eased out a bit. Um, but I, I like what you're saying there about how is it that we should be living in the world? Um, there's that sense of... Um, obligation or privilege or or a sense of um, duty to our fellow man. And even in history, they say that a lot of the survivors from Titanic felt the weight of that, that so few had survived. They felt had that survivor's remorse or survivor's guilt where they felt the pressure of um, the, uh, being the only one left or whatever. And so that's got to be hard um, for them to have come out of that. Yeah, and I think you do see some people dying well. It does portray yeah, it did. some people stepping up mm-hmm. and and recognizing it is on with the, on them to go down with the ship. Um, you see other people, despite their wealth, trying to weasel their way. Yes, um, and so that do you die well is not something that is boundaried by class, um, mm-hmm. and and so I think that's you know. That is one of the larger questions that's a takeaway from this really what is a romance movie. I think it's probably more of a mm-hmm. romance. Um, it is the question of at the end, how do you die and does your wealth yeah. matter? Um, and so yeah, it was, it was, I liked it. I, I thought, I don't think it was true in every respect of how it positioned and framed some of the questions. Um, but, 
I did enjoy it. And I'm really glad, spoiler alert, that it wasn't this Romeo and Juliet mm, ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. part of honoring someone's sacrifice for us is to go on with our lives. Yeah. And honoring the fact that they loved us well does not mean collapsing into the love affair and saying, oh, I Mm -hmm. can't go on without you. It means stewarding the sacrifice that they have made and going on to live your life um, with joy and abundance um, because of what they have given for you. And I think that's the um, message that James Cameron was stressing. Um, So many people were arguing, why is it that Jack and Rose couldn't have figured out how to both fit on that door at the end so they could have now, both survived. Now, that's a legitimate and question, I have to say. That's a legitimate question, which I will link up the uh, Mythbusters episode. I'll put that in the show notes as well because they tested it and they said, yes, sadly, they could have both been on there. But James Cameron's response was that, hey, the script said that Jack has to die. So he had to die. Sorry. And so that's James Cameron's response. And I think that's because he was telling a good story. And in this story, Rose was sacrificed for and she used that sacrifice to live a life that she would have never had otherwise. And so I think that's um, calling us back to how these movies are telling us all kinds of stories and narratives and how we can reflect on them and think about how does that fit into my life and my narrative and and how is it shaping me, um, which is really why I've loved this whole series. I'm, I'm sad that we're at the end of the Never Seen series. It's been so fun. Um, make sure all you listeners out there, if you haven't watched or listened to um, the episodes, I'll, I'll get them all linked up on there. But we've talked about Casablanca. We've talked about Mean Girls, Singing in the Rain, The Breakfast Club, and Chariots of Fire. So we'd love for you to listen in and, and give us your feedback on that. Now, Hannah, for this episode, do we have a question of the day? We do. So one of the things that really struck me in watching Titanic was just the waves of nostalgia that wafted over me and plummeted me into the depths of the sea of nostalgia, right? We'll go with that. It did feel like I was just swept back to Mm. a certain point in my life. But I also realized that that is dependent on when you were born, when you grew up. So your nostalgia is going to be different than my nostalgia. Oh, sure. The question of the day is, what movie takes you back? Where does it take you back to? What is the movie that you know you are guaranteed, if I watch this, I will be taken back to this point in my life? Um, Maybe because that you saw it at a certain time or because it just resonates so strongly with a period of life that was intense for you. So what movie takes you back? And you can join us um, at Twitter, of course, at Persuasion CAPC. You can catch up with us on Instagram. We're in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. And you can join us there uh, for just a monthly donation of $5 a month that helps support um, not just Persuasion, but the other podcast in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network, as well as the articles that go up on the site um, and all the work that goes on behind the scenes. 
We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in our podcast network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com or go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture. All of those shows will pop up right there. And we do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.